Hello, and welcome to the Real Weird Podcast, October 4th, going under the knife, eyes without a face. Hello everyone, and welcome to the 4th day of October, and today we're going to be throwing, we're going to have a bit of a throwback today. We're going to be talking about Georges Franju's Eyes Without a Face, it's an old French horror film, and... I'm going to be honest, I feel like this is going to be another case of, like, The Exorcist, where people are going to find it boring for a horror movie, just because it was made back in, like, the 50s. But I'm going to tell you this. According to reviews of it at the time, it was probably one of the most scandalous things there ever was. It was shown in Edinburgh, and according to one newspaper, the reviewers dropped like flies, and it caused the director to joke is to rather undiplomatically quip, now I know why the Scotsman wear skirts. So that's the idea of how unpleasant it was for people at the time. I'm pretty sure that, I think I read somewhere that the only English language reviewer who admitted that she liked it was nearly fired from her job. And I think a fair amount of people in France who were, you know, professional film critics actually kind of deny that the movie even existed. Some finding out that George Franju was the director claim then, oh, well, it's simply a film noir. After all, no serious artistic director would debase himself by making a horror film. So it really gives you some idea of the time, but it's a beautifully made movie and it's Still one of my favorites, even though a fair amount of it's pretty tame by modern standards, and a fair amount of it is taken up with uh, police investigation. So I'm going to just go through the synopsis here, and I'm going to warn you right now, there will be spoilers. Um, If you have not watched this movie, you can probably find a rental somewhere on some streaming service for like maybe three or four dollars. So go watch it, then come back. Alright, so, basic synopsis, Eyes Without a Face, it follows the investigation of a number of murders in Paris. And they're, all, they're all young women, and they all have the skin from their faces missing. A professor comes in and identifies one of the bodies as that of his daughter, Christiane. But we find out the truth here fairly early on. The dead girl is, oh, that was found in the Seine is not his daughter. He is, in fact, the murderer, and his daughter is very much alive. The issue is that his actions at once, at one point caused a car accident that led to Christiane's face being just horribly mangled and scarred, and we actually see what the result of that was at one point. She stays at his villa, hiding her face behind this stiff, waxy, plain white mask that just looks like a face. And what he's been doing is kidnapping young women and trying to graft their faces onto her to give her a face again. And for some reason, they just never take. Uh, He's been disposing of the bodies with help from his assistant, Louise. So the first half of the movie is the revelation of this and just establishing the motive. Now, the second half of the story is a sort of detective story as Jacques, one of the doctor's assistants and Christiane's old fiance. He begins to suspect that something is wrong. So he enlists the help of a detective and they sort of strong arm this like shoplifter named Paulette 
into aiding in the investigation. She's offered a job. We will drop the charges against you if you help us investigate the clinic. Again, it's not a mystery to us, but there's some tension to be had in us seeing if the characters can piece the mystery together. The ending of the movie actually has the police attempt to investigate the clinic, but they readily accept his explanations as to you know what's been going on. And it looks like it's going to be a case of the bad guy gets away. But Christian has been becoming just incredibly disenchanted with the way her father's acting. And she's losing her mind from like grief over being scarred, guilt for the fact that he's killing these young women to give her her face back. And just the isolation she's enduring, she intervenes. She takes the scalpel frees Paulette, kills Louise. She frees the doves and dogs that her father has been conducting tests on, and the dogs attack and kill her father when he comes to investigate. His face, appropriately, is very disfigured, and Christiane is just completely unmoved by it, and she just wanders off into the woods with a free dove in her hand as the music plays. That's, that's the overall... Uh, plot of the movie as far as the lighting and cinematography goes pretty much every um outdoor scene in this movie is either at night or is either nighttime or dusk or if it's during the day it's during uh sort of overcast cloudy days or there's rain or there's rain or a lot of fog i should say uh There's two main themes as far as the music goes. Uh, There's not much of it, but there's two main themes that get repeated. One is the sort of jaunty carnival-esque music that's used as sort of um, what's called musical counterpoint whenever Louise carries out the abductions of these young women. You know, it's got this sort of like (laughs) carnival sound to it, but it's being used for something as, you know, upsetting as an abduction and the other is a more somber theme for christiane scenes because you know like i mentioned she's just been locked up in the villa going crazy the visual effects are fairly nice especially during well i don't want to give too much away but that scene in this movie and as far as the character goes i think this is kind of like the exorcist like i mentioned a case where what gets what makes this scary is you get invested in the characters. So first we've got the professor himself. He's the um, he's an obsessive character. Genesir is a tormented scientist, racked with guilt over the accident he caused and the killings he's conducted to try and remedy that first one. His portrayal here is more positive and sympathetic, I guess, than it was in the uh, novel that the film is adapted from. He feels a bit more relatable. And while he's doing such a horrible thing, you understand kind of why he's doing it. Uh, Funnily enough, the humanization, I think, came as a way to get around the German censors. I presume this was because it was 1957 and, you know, people probably still had fresh memories of Joseph Mengele and company. Uh but yeah, that's his contribution to this. His daughter, Christiane, for me, is probably the most interesting and sympathetic character in the film. And 
as I said, she's just trying to grapple with, you know, the guilt because she knows that he's killing these girls to try and give her her face back. So there's even a point where she just like contemplates out loud in front of Louise. She just contemplates suicide because she just wants this whole thing to end. And I can see why, because like her mask in the movie is just really fucking creepy. And you, and it's that sort of like weird thing where you understand why it's there and you feel bad for getting creeped out by it. It's kind of, I know this is probably going to sound kind of screwed up, but it was kind of the same feeling that I had when I was younger and I first saw like an amputee. It's nothing against, you know, nothing against amputees. It's just that I had an image of my head of what a person looked like and just seeing like bits of it missing. It, it really kind of freaked me out when I was a kid. So that's kind of the feeling that Christiane gives off. As far as Louise goes, she's the, you know, the Igor of the story. She's loyal to the professor due to her own situation. Um, she was very nearly in a situation similar to Christiane at one point. And the doctor fixed up her face very, very well. The only real uh, evidence is just this little scar lining on her neck that she keeps covered with a choker. Um, as far as Louise goes, I do want to mention she's also played by Alita Valley. Uh, any fans of some old Italian directors like, you know, Rossellini, Federico Fellini, Michelangelo Antonioni. Or if you're like me and you like Dario Argento, uh, you might recognize her from Suspiria, but she plays Louise in this movie, which was really interesting because, like, she's the only one that, only one of these actors that I know by name. So, yeah, that's basically my uh, rundown on Eyes Without a Face. It's probably not the most well-known outside of, like, you know, cinephile communities, people that enjoy talking about older movies. But I'm going to leave you with this on it. As I said, as I'm saying in the episode description, this is also a movie that has its influence in both John Woo and John Carpenter. Um, the premise of this, John Woo has cited as an influence for the movie Face Off with Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. And it's also the reason why there's such a you know heavy motif of doves in that movie. And John Carpenter has said that it's possible, because he doesn't actually remember, but it's possible that he got the idea for the general image of the Michael Myers mask from seeing Christiane's mask in this movie. So that's it for this one. Um, I'll be back tomorrow to talk about some four lesser-known films from the late, great Donald Pleasance, because tomorrow is actually his birthday. So hope you join me for that. Uh, sorry that this one is a bit shorter. But... Yeah, go check out Eyes Without a Face. It should be on the Criterion channel last I checked. If not, well, you, like I said, you can probably find a digital rental somewhere for like $4. Anyway, stay safe, have a pleasant day, and I'm signing off right here. Goodbye. <laughs>